I am always amazed at how often in God's providence he brings things together and in his providence today the ninth commandment coincides with what we're going to be looking at in this subject of church discipline. I want you to think of this though. I want you to ponder it. When you got saved, when the Spirit of God actually entered you, how did you change from the person you were to the person you are now? It's a good question, isn't it? Let me pray, and then I want to read something to you out of the scripture here. Our Holy Father, we thank you for the day that you've given us. Father, as we come to the word of the living God, teach us, O oh God, how to govern our lives rightly, how to honor you, to glorify your name in all that we do. Teach us to be people of the book. We ask, O oh God, in this hour, you will teach us that you will give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive by the power of your spirit and the teaching of your word that we might be an upright people, a righteous people, a people who seek to be holy, set aside from the world, transformed by the power of your grace. For we ask it in Christ's most precious and holy name. Amen. Now I started with the question. How did you change? You said, I'm a Christian. Then you're saying, I've been converted. I've been regenerated by the Spirit of God. The old man is being crucified. The new man is being put on in Christ. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 5. I'm not going to expound completely on this, but I just want to bring this to your attention. Think about what he says. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. The word flesh here means the desires of the human apart from being regenerate. The state of being unsaved. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery. Adultery happens once you are engaged and that one or the other spouse and that engagement, because you used to be able to sue for this. The principle even carried through to America up to about 1950 or 60. If you caught your future spouse, as we would say, who has already made a vow and a commitment. Think about it. It's not an engagement ring that makes you engage. It's a vow. Will you marry me? I want to marry you. When you make that commitment, you've coveted together. You're engaged. And if you were caught committing adultery, you 
could be divorced, or literally the girl could sue you for the engagement or the man. We don't live in those good times anymore, unfortunately. Adultery, fornication, that covers everything from verbal abuse all the way through pre-engagement interaction and intimacy with another person of the opposite sex. Just let me throw that in just to make sure you understand what I'm saying. Uncleanliness, that is living in sin, a violation of the law of God. Lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft. Now, up to this point, most people go, that's not me. I don't have these big problems. Okay? You can commit adultery or fornication or any of these things up to this point in your thought. But you can also then transform it into actions. But if you've thought it, then you're as guilty of sin as if you practice it. But that doesn't give you permission to pragmatically practice what you've been thinking about that is sinful. But up to this point, people go, well, I don't have idolatry or witchcraft. Rebellion is witchcraft, the Bible says. But then he gets down to this, hatred. Oh, now he's killing us under the influence of the Spirit. He's hitting us very hard. We have hatred. Do you know what biblical hatred is? Take a look. I will come back to these passages at some point and preach on them. But, Hatred. Hatred in the heart is a sin for God. It's a part of the flesh. If you have hatred for someone, there's something wrong with you. The Bible says all men are to live at peace. All Christian men, all Christian people, if you will, with all men. As far as we are able to do, we live at peace. How do we do that? We love them. How do you love them? We keep the law of God toward them. We don't violate God's law toward them. Which means what? Well, when we get to Matthew 18, Jason has given us a real foundation for this. Hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife. Seditions, heresies. Well, a lot of people say, ah, that's not a hard one there. But you got to deal with those other ones. Wrath, that anger. I'm mad. I am angry. Strife. They strive with people. Conflict, in other words. Seditions. They try to undermine real authority that God has set up. Heresies, envies, they envy what others have. Murderers, the Bible says if you have hatred in your heart, you've already murdered that person. Drunkenness, revelings, and of such like which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that those who do such things shall what? 
and I have to apologize. That <laughs> doesn't say that. That those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, it is a great contrast to what the fruit of the Spirit is. Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. Listen to this, long-suffering. You will suffer long when someone goes against you or when things aren't going the way you think they are. You're willing to suffer for the cause of Christ, to live the life that you've been called to. Gentleness. Goodness, oh my, do I show these things in my life, especially when I'm in conflict? Faith, meekness, temperance against such, there just is no law. When you do these things, you're living by the law of God. These are the manifestations of the Spirit. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Well, that text is a real telling story, is it not? Look at the contrast between the Christian, he who says that he's filled with the Spirit, and the non-Christian, the man who walks or the woman who walks in the flesh. Look at their, it's always back to this, not what they say. Look at the fruits that they produce in their life, their actions, the way they live, things that they do say, but also say in those actions, how they violate the law of God. Well, let's look at our particular verse here dealing with this whole question of church discipline. This is lecture number or sermon number 10, if you will. The importance of corrective church discipline. Now we said Matthew 18 is the most noted. Jason even brought that up in the ninth commandment. Verse that deals with this issue of church discipline. And again, I'll read it, beginning at verse 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you. Now, I want you to notice something. What does it say? If your brother sins against you, what do you do? It doesn't say that it's his job to come and fix it. No. You go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If you're offended, if you've been sinned against, it's your duty to fix it. If he's in sin, he's not going to fix it. Don't you understand? People in sin, they're in sin because they like their sin. And the reason why they sinned is because they thought that was exactly what they needed to do. And if it's sinned against you, apparently you needed it they're not going to come back and make it right. You've got to go and tell them, hey, you've sinned against me. 
So the onus is upon you. You know, I throw out 47 years I've been preaching. I've had people say to me over and over again, well, you know, why don't you tell us when we sin so we know? Well, just following one person around would be a 24-hour job. Can you imagine trying to tell somebody that? Now, it reminds me. I mean, you know, we know we all sin. We're saved by grace. We're still sinners. We still deal with the corruption. But we are at war with it now. We have the Spirit of God who hates the darkness. And we love the light. And where there is light, darkness flees. We're changed. You understand? We're changed. We all sin. The difference is a Christian seeks not to sin. He strives to keep the law of God. And when he sins, he seeks forgiveness. It's called self-discipline. We talk about preventative discipline. Prescriptive. Here's the word of God. Here's how you're to live. You discipline yourself. You've got to do it every time you come before the Lord's table. We all sin. And it would be impossible to walk behind you to tell you every time. Number one, I don't imagine you'd like that very well. Every time you sin, then you have to guess at what they're thinking because the thinking becomes the real problem. Then you become the thinking place, the thought place. We're going to judge your thoughts. It becomes impossible. Cannot be done. But it reminds me of an old story. And I'll adapt it to us. And since Pastor Enro isn't here, he's my object of illustration. You should be here. Get out of the north. There ain't no place up there for you. Get out down to Florida, buddy. I dreamed that I got a tour of hell. And I said, oh, it's hot. And I walked into this big room where Satan was. And there were clocks everywhere. And I said, what are all these clocks? And he says, oh, every person has a clock. So that every time they sin, that clock will go around one minute. That minute hand will just go around like an hour. Whoosh. I said, you're kidding. And I looked. I found Jason's clock. Sure enough. Kept looking at it. Look at it pretty soon. Whoosh. Wow. I found Glenn's clock. Glenn's older. Took a lot longer for him to get his sin out. But it goes around. I found Dave's clock. 
Sure enough. Wait long enough. Whoosh, the hand went around. One hour. The minute hand. 60 minutes taken up. And I said, well, I see all the clocks in here from all the people in my church, but I can't find Pastor Enro's clock. And Satan says, oh, we keep that in the back room. We'll use that for a fan. You can't walk behind people and deal with all the sins they're going to be doing. The question is, are you dealing with the sins? It's a full-time job, people. It's hard. It's hard. But here's the point. When someone sins against you, you go. That's the command. You go. You got to go and you got to show them, though, how they have sinned. Or maybe you got to go and say, I'm not sure what you did and... and can I ask some questions so I understand you? Yeah. The person, if they're a Christian, ought to want to know. Well, did I really offend you? Did I violate the scripture? It's the last thing you want to be. People who ignore the law and the word of God, they end up in hell. That's what we just read. And so if I sin, you need to come and say to me. Yeah, you sinned against me. I can sin against you. Anybody else in this room can sin against you. None of us are superhumans. We're just simply sinners saved by God's grace. But we have a command. We have a desire from the spirit that indwells us to live to the standard of God's law. And we strive to that. We war against sin. That's the negative side of sanctification. We put sin to death. We're constantly going to war to kill it, to bury it, to get it out of our lives, to control it so that it does not control us. That's what Paul says in Romans. But if somebody sins against you where that sin is an actual trespass against you, you go. That's your job. If you don't go, you're asking them to try to guess. Not only their sin, but your mind can be done. You've got to go and tell them. Well, I don't like to go. Well, I got news for you. I don't like church discipline either, but I got to do it. I don't get options. I wish in the 40 years of pre 47 years of preaching, I wish. Nobody would sin. All I had to do was preach the Bible and never address problems in your life. But it doesn't happen. We are at war. So anyway, he says, go tell him alone. If he hears you, what did we say? You've gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more. That by the mouth of two or three witnesses... Every word may be established. That is, everything that is said between them is established. They are witnessing what has transpired. They're not judging. They're coming back because they're going to hear it. Now, they may say to them, boy, you know what? Here's the word of God, and 
Clearly, you've sinned against this person. You need to repent of it. But they're witnesses. What happens? When you take it to the church, which is the last thing, when he will not hear them, what do you do? Take it to the church, and what do they do? They come and tell exactly what transpired. Tell it to the church. But if he refuses to hear it from the church, let him be to you a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say, listen to what he says, assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I wish we could get our Christian people to understand just the power God has given to the church to bind and loosen people to their sin. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on anything concerning what they have asked, it will be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where there are two or three gathered together, in my name I am there in the midst of them. It's all in the context of discipline. Now we began two Sundays ago. I want to just recap this. With the meaning of church discipline, etymologically, it conveys the idea of what? Learning, education, tutoring. And we said there is a positive and a negative structure to all discipline. Last Lord's Day, we looked at the positive or preventative discipline. But now, this Lord's Day, we're going to go to the corrective side of discipline. We now enter into this negative side. It's called corrective. It means you sin and it needs to be corrected. We, who have to deal with this, call it the dark side. You know why? Have you ever had somebody come and say something to you and you didn't like it? And you responded negatively. Have you ever gone to someone and said to you, you know what? That, that was mine. Why do you have it? Or you said this. Why did you say that? They respond so negative. They get angry. They're caught in their sin. They don't like that. And they get angry with you. You know, when you were a kid, when your parents would come and say, don't do this. I'll do whatever I want. You can't tell me what to do. You know what I'm talking about. You keep that all your attitude. You may have it under better control, but you still have it. Who do they think they are? They're going to tell me to do this. I'm gonna... It's that negative attitude. We call it the dark side of church work. You know why? Because you've got to deal with all the negativity. Now you'd think Christians would go, oh my, Tell me how I've sinned so that I can make it right. I mean, the last thing I want to do is die and this sin be the testimony of my life. What's the last thing they did before they died? They sinned. Is that the telling story of their life? May well be. It never surprises me when you sin. I don't believe you live in perfection. What surprises me is that you won't go to war with sin. Because that's what the Bible tells us we have to do. Now there are basically five steps to church discipline. 
The first three are basically kind of an informal approach to discipline, but the latter becomes formal, involving the church as an official organization established by Christ. He's given it structure, order, and authority within it. So the church does matter. When you go against the authority and structure of the church, when they are biblically right, you're going against Christ himself. You're shaking your fist in his face saying, I'll do what I want to do. And I promise you, if you do that, you will end up in hell because that is not the attitude of a Christian. The real Christian wants to be fed the word. The real Christian wants to live the word in his life. And so it is we have these five steps of correction that we have to take. Notice, too, that as discipline progresses from one step to the next, the number of persons participating begins to increase. One-to-one, go get two witnesses. That don't work. Go to the church. Now we got more witnesses. The church officers have to meet to deal with this. Then they have to take it to the whole body of the church to explain what has happened. It is an increasing participation of the people. It's the way God wrote it. I can't stop. You can't go, okay, we're going to punish them in silence. We will not tell anybody what they've... What if they're a pedophile? Don't you need to notify the families of the church that this person's been caught as a pedophile? Wouldn't you want to be able to know that so you could protect your children? Of course. When people sin and they won't repent of it, you have to expose it so that everyone knows, I don't want to partake of that sin. I'm not going to approve that sin in their life. So it's very important. Very, very important not to just ignore this exhortation that we are given from Scripture on fixing our problems, correcting them, if you will, by following God's plan of how to govern your life. So our Lord Jesus in Matthew 18, in verse 15 through 17. Here you have four steps, basically. But we basically insert a fifth step. Because there's an additional step that's not mentioned by Jesus here, but mentioned elsewhere in the scripture. You see the corrective. What you don't see is the prescriptive that which we call self-discipline. That's where you discipline your own life. We preach the word prescriptively on how to live. You take that word into your heart, into your mind, and you live by it, and you discipline yourself day in and day out to flee sin in your life. 
Thus, our Lord did not deal with this aspect of prescriptive or self-discipline, but we insert it because it is a part. He doesn't extend it backwards to the struggle in the offender prior to committing an offense. It just did not apply here to what he was doing. So we have this first concept or step, which is called self-discipline. Very important. It's mentioned in Galatians 5 and in verse 23. That is a part, and we just read this, a part of the Spirit's work in you. Galatians 5, 23. Gentleness, here's the word, self-control. Against which there is no law. Self-control is self-discipline. That's the first step. It is only when one fails to exercise their own self-discipline that they begin through the failure and the need to corrective discipline by those that God has told us have that responsibility. But the first are informal. And the first in Matthew deals with one-to-one. -one. Not a public sin. That has to be dealt with in public. But if it's a private sin, someone sins against you, then you begin there. Why? Because they didn't do self-discipline. Besides self-control, the goal of any process is success in they're living a life of peace in the Spirit of God. Success is incomplete if it does not lead or deal with the offender's problem preventatively in terms of his own self-discipline. This relates to the inner work of that Spirit that indwells you. If you have the spirit, you have self-control. If you don't have the spirit, you got a problem. Self-control, self-discipline. With respect to the process of biblical discipline, absolute confidentiality in any of these situations is impossible. Because if you go to someone and don't get it right, you got to bring two witnesses. Confidentiality is gone. Well, I'd rather other people not know about this. You can't. you got to follow the prescription of the scripture. Bring two witnesses. If you can't, you take it to the church. The leadership handles it. And then if they don't repent and they rebel, the whole church gets to be told about it. So you cannot say to someone, especially if you're a counselor, I'll keep this in absolute confidentiality. My answer is, confidentiality is based on one thing. You do not violate certain things because there are certain things I'm going to tell. And there are some things if you tell me in counseling, I will call the authorities to come and arrest you. If I find out you're a pedophile, I'm going to report you. It's a civil crime, not just a sin. We must understand that this is important. 
the person who comes and goes to that person, if you will take heed and do what our Lord says, you may resolve it and that will be the end of it. If not, it's going to bring in more people. I told you the process of this is going to increase the amount of people involved. Sometimes this is asked in counseling, when you begin counseling with people. Now, not everybody here is designed to be a counselor, but I'm going to tell you as a counselor, there are just some things you can't keep in confidence. Much you can, but there's some things that cannot be. The husband beats the kids. You can't keep that in confidence. He's not only sinned, but he's committed a crime. He beats the wife. Then he's got to pay the consequence. There's just some things you cannot. And I tell people, if you got any crime involved in your problems, you better not tell me about it, because if I hear it, we're going to the authorities to get it stopped. So church discipline sometimes requires me to go outside of the church to the civil magistrate and say, wow, we got a real problem here. They not only sinned, they violated our civil law. And you need to address it. I'm not allowed to. Now, it's true, you could solve. If I'm sitting and counseling someone and the guy says, well, yeah, I beat my wife. If I could pull out my 9 millimeter and just shoot him, it'd be all over with. Oh, except for I'd have to go to jail for shooting a guy. I don't have that authority. You understand what I'm saying? My authority is strictly ecclesiastical. But it's greater than the civil magistrate. You know why? Because Jesus said, whatever I bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever I loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. People go, well, you know, I just don't believe that's going to happen. The calamity of that is horrendous. When God begins to deal with you, because you will not deal with your sin. So it is. No absolute confidentiality can be established. Not where church discipline is concerned because it may progress. Now, if it's resolved between person and person, it needs to go no further. And you should not talk about it. Once you said that something is forgiven, as long as they, when they ask for forgiveness, you know what, when people say, I want to ask for forgiveness, it means there's going to be a fruit that does what? He quits his sin or her sin. It means they're not going to do it again. And if you see it being done again, you know that the forgiveness they asked for was insincere. Then you got to go where? You got to go get some people and say, look, you said you would stop this. That's a part of your Christian walk. Why haven't you stopped this? You lied to me. 
Now I'm bringing witnesses. Because what you're doing to others is what you did to me, and we're heading to the church to fix the problem, if that's what you require. And so it is. Just depending on the person, all that may change. But there can't be any absolute confidentiality, except if the two get together, it's done. And then neither one are to speak of it again. He's not to speak of it or practice it if it's a guy. And if the person that is another guy that is transgressed against, he's not to speak of it with anyone else either. In other words, you're not supposed to sit around, as Pastor Jason said, and gossip. Now, I'm going to tell you this, but don't, don't tell anybody else, okay? Let me tell you about brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. And then you get into, yeah, that's what I thought. I really did. You know. And now you're in sin. You're in sin now. Now you've sinned against them. Do not gossip. Just because you find, as Pastor Jason pointed out, people that will agree with you, I could, the world would agree with you. If it's against Christ's church, Jesus said, if they hate me, they're going to hate you. They're going to agree with anything they can throw against you. Getting people to agree with you is not hard. As a matter of fact, if I slip them a 20 under the table, they'll be more than happy to. I don't know if 20 will go that far today, but say 100, they'll go along with you. Yeah, I can hate him too. I can say evil things. Even if I don't know the truth, I can still say it. And somehow that makes you feel like I got people agreeing with me, so I must be right. No. You got people agreeing with you but it doesn't mean your cause is right or just. Because it can't be just because you're talking about it unjustly. You're not doing the way the scripture says for you to do it. You've sinned. And when you sin, you cannot be right. I hope you will take that to heart. It's something we all have to understand. When we sin, we cannot be right. And so getting people just to agree with you is not going to make your argument right. It's a false logical concept. It's an appeal to the other people. If I can get them to agree, whether they know or not, whether they only have half the story or not, maybe they only have my side of the story. If they agree with me, that must be authoritative. And I must be right. They're looking for support from others who are not involved, who do not know the whole story. 
Remember what the Bible says, when the first one comes to you and tells you the story, it seems right. If you ever have people come to you and say in your life as a Christian, wow, you've been a Christian a long time, we need help, could you just give us some advice? We got this problem, and the first one that speaks may sound right. At least their perception of what's happening is right, it's real to them but it may not be the real perception. And if what they say is sinful, they got a real problem. This area is really hard to deal with. We are being asked to sort out all the details of what has taken place, the event. We are asked to determine who has violated the law of God or not. That's why one of the requirements of our ministers is they got to be precisionists. What do you think these, these assistant pastors I have, what do you think they've been in training for eight years for? And they've got another 10 years to go before they're going to finish. And finish with their doctrines. You know why? Because it becomes very difficult to do these things. We learn by observation. We learn by asking questions. We seek to try to understand every aspect of life. I tell every person that I counsel when they come in, especially in marriage counseling, I'll tell both the husband and the wife, you have your perception of what's going on. She has her perception. Her perception is real to her and your perception is real to you. I'm going to hear it. I will have a perception. And it may be real to me. And all three of us could be wrong. We must go slow. We must work it out step by step. We must find where we have failed, where we have sinned, where we transgressed the law of God. It is no small work. When you're a minister, you really become a jack of all trades. You've got to do everything. Everything. You have to judge people. You have to teach people. You have to console people. There are so many things you get involved in. Direct them, help them, educate them, help them with the education of their children. You just, you become everything. Counselor, educator, preacher, teacher, judge. You have a lot to do. It's not like getting out and saying, okay, dig this ditch 10 foot long. You get done with 10 feet and you've done it right, it's over. I wish the ministry was not this complicated, but it is. It's why we train our ministers so hard. We want them to be objective with the word of God in every situation. Well, then, self-discipline is becoming the most important thing. The offended party, when we go, at best says to the offender, 
I am glad to keep confidence in the way the scripture instructs me. They will have confidential relationship with you as far as being confident, quiet, peaceful, live at peace, not speak of this as instructed by the scripture. Meaning I shall never involve others unless God requires me to do so. I'm not going to leave here and go tell people what's happened. Oh, guess what? I confronted so-and-so and he admitted he sinned against me. You've sinned against God by telling that. Because the Bible instructs you that once he does hear you, it's over. You're not to speak of it. He's not to speak of it. It's been resolved. When you draw others in, now you're making them think in a way that violates the law of God toward others' well-being and their good name. I preached through the law of God. I told you that God's law is demanding. It's hard. I told you, the pastor in row says, the Reformed faith is a hard road to walk down. It is. What he means is the demands of God on your life, unlike all these other so-called churches out there who just basically say, show up and give us your money, make no demands on your Christian walk, the fruit of the Spirit that is manifested in you, and the good works you're to walk in just don't matter. It does. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's what really demonstrates you've changed inwardly. And so it is. We are always careful in how that we deal in our relationship. Sometimes we practice all these steps, but not always. Sometimes when you sin publicly, you get dealt with publicly. And I'll show you from Scripture where that happens. For instance, we read in 1 Corinthians about a man who was having sexual relations with his stepmother because of its notoriety. It was a matter between the man and the church as a whole. When you act in a sinful way, you have brought yourself into a public condemnation. Pastor Jason said it well. When you attack the church and you get mad and you leave, that's a public sin. And we're going to deal with it publicly. We've got no choice. Paul says that's what we do under the influence of the Holy Spirit. When you've got a public sin, you deal with it publicly. Matthew 18, 1, 2 doesn't count. You don't have to do it. Paul was not acting extraordinary here. 
He did what the church should have already done. Here's the apostle coming and going, hey, how come you got, can you imagine, if Paul knows about it, the church had to. How come you got a guy in your church that's having a relationship with his stepmother? His father's wife. Not his natural mother, which would be gross, but his stepmother, which is still gross and perverted. Now, there are many other examples also, and we can look at some of these later on. But the process is quickly dealt with when it becomes public. The church knew. I mean, Paul knew. If Paul knew, the church had to know. Why didn't you do church discipline? What is wrong with you? Some think that if one differs with the writing of another believer on a point or his doctrine without rancor or any problem between them, he's wrong for stating the difference publicly before going private. This is a common misconception, and here's why. First, there is no unreconcilable issue between them. Second, there is no matter of church discipline involved when they have that. You can differ. You can come and say, I, I don't understand, Pastor. I don't, I don't get this. Here's what I think it says. I'll listen to what you have to say. I don't bind you to the word of God, except for if the word of God says something and I say, this is the correct interpretation. He's bound by it. But I don't bind him. It's the word of God that has to bind his conscience. Whether he reads it, whether I preach it, whatever is the right interpretation of it binds your conscience to do it. Third, the first party spoke in public. If you make something public, you've put it before the church, you didn't do it privately. So when you stand up at church and say, Pastor, I think you're wrong, or you go around and tell everybody, I think the church is wrong in this. You've made it public. You've not made it private. I don't need to go to you, Matthew 18. You have transitioned yourself to public. Now I must deal with you and the pastors and the elders. We must deal with you in the public setting. And for that reason, if it be somebody else or if it's one of the men, they may also go public and get up and say, this guy said this, it's not true. Here's what I believe. He's wrong in understanding me. God is so precise to protect his church. The church is his bride. It's literally his wife. He has given us order for a reason. He wants a unity of mind and of spirit, of kindness, gentleness, goodness. He does not want us to be in a state of derision.
And so it is. When a Christian becomes aware of a rift or something that's happened, it's his job to go and to seek the reconciliation, to be obedient. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 6, 1 through 2. Brother, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, brother, talking to the church, if any man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, you who are mature in essence, filled with the Spirit of God, restore such a one in the spirit of what? Gentleness, consider yourself, lest you also be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Got to be careful. Don't partake of their sin. You who are spiritual, go. If you find someone in trespass, go and correct them. Be careful. Don't get caught up into their sin. It's possible. You say to someone, you've done this, and the next thing you know, you're doing the same thing. Maybe not in the same way, but in the same manner, and you violate the law of God. You've got to be careful. But again, it's still your job. It is our job. It is the officers of the church's job, the pastors and elders, to fix problems in your life so that you can live to the glory of God. I hate the conflict. Doesn't matter when you get in church discipline. If the Spirit of God isn't there, you're not going to solve the conflict. People are going to get mad. They're going to say nasty things. And they're not going to just say them to your face. They're going to say them to everybody else's face around them. They're going to make it public. And then you have to expose them for their sin publicly. I don't have a choice. I didn't choose that. When someone sins, I don't go to everybody in a church and say to them, if it's private, did you know this happened in this guy's life? Or this woman's life? I don't do that. I don't go trying to find witnesses to join with me. I stand on the word of God. There's the greatest authority and witness you can have through his spirit. This is what the word of God says. This is what they've done. And they're in sin. Can't get around. May get mad. May leave. May do a lot of things. But I'll guarantee you what they're going to do more than anything else is sin. They're going to go tell people. They're going to go try to find those witnesses. People that will, they're not really witnesses. They're just people that agree with them. And they'll say whatever you want them to say. Am I surprised? No. Not when Christ says, if the world hates me, you better expect they're going to hate you. Not when he says to me, you know what? If it's necessary, forsake your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, pick up the cross and follow me. 
What a burden Christians carry in this life. We're expected to follow Christ. We're expected to live in a way that will honor him according to his word. The process always remains the same. It never changes. There's no new process. We can't create new things. You know, in some churches where they have prelates in particular, the prelate takes up the issue and just comes in and says, you're a troublemaker. Get out of the church. Pastor says you're a troublemaker. If there's enough complaints, they'll go to the pastor and say, you're a troublemaker. Get out. One man gets all the power. We don't accept that. We're all accountable. I'm accountable to a presbytery and to a general assembly. They can take an action against me. Just as they can take an action against you, they can take an action against me. We're all accountable before God. Well, if there's one rule of thumb by which you need to make a determination at this stage of your own life, if there's an issue, let me give you this. Deal with the problems on the level at which it presents itself. It's one-on-one. -on -one. Deal with it one-on-one. -on -one. Involving no other persons than those who are already involved. As soon as you involve others, you have sinned. Because it becomes gossip. You're tailbearing. And you're only telling your side. Which to you may seem that way. Very possible. But you may be wrong. And if you are, not only are you sinning, but now you've made others sin with you. That's evil. And evil can't be right. Think about the importance of self-discipline. Think about the importance in corrective discipline. Go to someone, one-to-one. -one. Get the problem solved. Restore a brother. Have union. Rejoice in the spirit that God has given us, that we can be at peace with each other and peace with all men because we have the grace of God within us. But you've got to correct the trespasses. You who are spiritual, go to those when you see them trespass against you. And you, if someone is trespassed in private, not in public, privately, go to them. Keep it private. Do not involve others. As soon as you involve people that is not by Directive of Scripture, you've sinned as well. You got problems? What's the first thing that happens in life? You look for people to agree with you. There's some kind of satisfaction, I guess. But there isn't. It doesn't work that way. All you've done is sinned and made it public. 
And now that informal discipline and steps that were there to correct are gone. And the church has to deal with it in public. I can't remember the song, but I was taught a song when I was a child at church that basically said, oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. Oh, be careful, little tongue, what you tell. Pastor Jason read to you out of James. Remember what James says? A tongue can start a little fire that eventually becomes a large one. That's where most of the problems go wrong. You can't keep your mouth shut. And then you create your own problems and you bring others into it and you make it public and it's sinful. Now you've got another problem because now you've trespassed against those you were to be dealing with only. Be careful what you say. Be a private person when you can be private. When you can resolve issues privately, do so. Keep those things in confidence. Keep them in confidence. Honor God. Honor his word. Honor his command. Follow his directions. And don't get ahead of it, and don't get beyond it. Stay within the guidelines if you want God to honor and bless what you're doing. If you're really a Christian, if you're not, just open your mouth and go tell everybody. But you know what? It's not the sign of a Christian. It's not the fruit of the Spirit of God. So it is, you have to be very careful. Because you will be judged by God. In the end, there's a price to pay for the wages of sin. You need to be careful. You need to be and practice what you profess in words. Be careful, please. Always be careful. Shall we pray?